This is the Paul McGuire Report on Paul McGuire. On today's program, we're going to investigate what is going to happen incrementally in our future. So if we take a panoramic view or maybe an aerial view, looking down from a higher perspective, if we take a panoramic view of what's happening now and we analyze it by comparing it to historical precedent and current uh, geopolitics, science, technology, and other fields of study, it's not all that difficult to come up with uh, let's call it a working scenario of what the future is going to be like. Let's start off with the basics, because if you don't know the basics, you can't, you can't take it any higher in terms of your perspective. You're, you're locked into the mundane. Most people that I meet overwhelmingly are locked into the mundane. And by locked into the mundane, I mean they are so preoccupied, they are so fixed, uh, they are so mesmerized by what is happening in the present tense reality in their own lives, their families' lives. They don't even have time to think really of the lives of the nation. So what this does inevitably is it produces a, a kind of paralysis. And paralysis is when you can't move. You're, you're paralyzed. You, you are immobilized. You can't. It's like maybe you can see the fact that there's a spiritual battle. Maybe you can perceive that this nation is moving very quickly into a particular undesirable direction. But you are paralyzed because you're so, and, and I, you know, we're, we're compassionate about this. We're not putting anybody down. Um, the way the particular system is structured, no matter where you are on the economic ladder, so to speak, chances are that you are expending the majority of your energy trying to survive, paying your bills, staying employed, uh, and all the other you know basic requirements of life. And, and nobody puts you down uh, for doing that. But the problem is that if you allow that to totally consume your life because you have never taken the time to acquire the supernatural wisdom, the supernatural understanding that you need to be an overcomer and survive, you will be paralyzed in the time of trial. You will be paralyzed in the time of, of the greatest battle. And we are in, as you know, I say it constantly. And I titled one of my books with this title, The Greatest Battle for the Hearts and Minds of Mankind in the History of the World. That's where we are right now. And it's very hard for ordinary people. And you could be very intelligent. Don't get me wrong. Uh, you could be intelligent. You could be bright. You could be successful. Uh, you could be well-respected. But if you cannot comprehend certain realities, if you cannot uh, think outside of the box, and by that, I mean our society on a subliminal, subconscious level is, and even as, as I don't really like to call it an accidental level, because in reality, it's not an accidental level. But our society underneath the surface is, is manipulating and controlling and directing and social engineering not only the past, but the present and the future. And most people can't, can't accept that truth. Uh, 
I often use, you know, the ceiling in your house or the ceiling in your bedroom or whatever as an illustrative example. So for like right now, I'm sitting in the studio where I record the Paul McGuire report. And, you know, I can look up and I see the ceiling. And I forgot how many feet up the ceiling is. But the ceiling um, represents, it's, it's kind of an aerial wall. And I can't, with my eyes in, in any case, I can't see above the ceiling. So for the sake of our discussion, the ceiling represents a kind of mental barrier that we all deal with. And this mental barrier, which we're using in our analogy and calling it the ceiling, this mental barrier or the ceiling is, in a sense, a wall that walls us in into the room that we're in. So, like, there's a particular um, uh, length to the room, a width to the room, and then there's the height to the room. The ceiling uh, represents a wall at the top, the height. The floor represents the bottom of the ceiling, but we call it a floor. And then you have the length of the room and the width of the room. So roughly, it's, it's usually, most rooms anyway, are usually are some kind of, uh, they're an adaptation of a square shape or an adaptation of a rectangle shape. Now, in real reality, which means the real world, most people live in, live their entire lives in a box um, with a ceiling, a floor, length, width. And throughout their lives, they may move uh, through a series of boxes until they finally come to the end of their life. And the interesting thing about what happens to people when they come to the end of their life is that, like it or not, um, whether they call it God or nature, they are overruled. Because when a person dies, they move beyond the, the square or the rectangle or the box that they've basically been living in their entire lives. and. Before that, you know, you could manipulate certain things, you could do certain things that could uh, cause you to, to create your world to a limited degree. So, but when you die, now as biblical Christians, we know that life and death come from God. And God says in his word, it, it is appointed once for a man or a woman to be born, and then they die. Just once. So, in other words, God is making a number of statements with that verse. He's saying that it is the sovereign will of God, the King of the universe. It is the law of God that every man and every woman is given the opportunity to be born into this world only once. Only once. Not multiple times in the in the sense of reincarnation or the karma and the wheel of births and deaths and the the idea which is a delusional uh, idea that will perm if you embrace the idea or the philosophy of reincarnation, which many many people do, 
and, and surprisingly many intelligent people do. But reincarnation um, is something that God deals with in his word, and God emphatically tells us that there is no such thing as reincarnation. In, in fact, if we did a deep dive together theologically and biblically, um, by reviewing the scriptures, the word of God in their proper context, and understanding how the laws of God interface with the mercy of God and the love of God, and understanding the full mission of Jesus Christ as the Messiah to be your Savior by faith through the blood of Jesus Christ. When you understand all those things, it is obvious, it is blatantly obvious that, first of all, there is absolutely no need for reincarnation. Because the whole idea of reincarnation is based on the mythology that, well, it, it is a mixture of truth with lies. But truth with lies is not, is not a truth. So, rightfully so, most religions acknowledge in various ways the sinfulness, the imperfect nature of man. So, the basic theology of reincarnation, which is a part of a cult, mystical, Hindu, Buddhist, and Eastern mystical religions. The basic idea behind reincarnation is that in every successive incarnation, every time you die, there's a record kept of everything that you did, good or bad, in the karmic uh, records or the Akashak records. And these are the records of the universe, they believe which keeps uh, an account of everything you did good and bad. Now, if all the stuff that you did that was good, if all the stuff that you did helped purify you to a higher, more pure level of consciousness, and the goal is to complete the cycle of karma, the births and the rebirths. So you live your life, and meticulous accounting is kept by the universe, of, of what you did right and what you did wrong. If you lived your life for self, if you lived your life on what they would call a low vibrational level, you hated, you killed, you harmed your fellow human being, you were cruel. In other words, what they're saying is, if you violated consistently the law of God, the law of love, and the law of karma, which many people do, you can, egregious examples of this would be Adolf Hitler, who who slaughtered and murdered in total cruelty over 35 million people in the Holocaust, or Chairman Mao, a communist revolutionary who murdered hundreds of millions of people in the communist Chinese revolution, or the communist Russian revolutions like Stalin and Lenin, the dictators, who murdered also hundreds of millions of people. Those men are monsters, and they egregiously and in your face violated all the laws of the universe. They violated the law of love, the law of sowing and reaping. They violated every law that would, would raise your vibrational level to what they call, in their misunderstanding, a kind of Krishna consciousness, but most often they call it God consciousness or Christ consciousness, where the theory is that when you raise your vibrational level, you become one with the universe, and then you are free from the law of karma. You, you, you finally 
when you when you achieve this total purity, which is produces total bliss and total ecstasy, when you achieve this total purity, which by the way is mythological and impossible to achieve, I know because I tried it for ten years in my life. Remember my personal story. When I write and talk about things, it's not based on theories. It's not based on speculation. When I write and teach on things like this particular subject, I experience them firsthand. I lived through them firsthand. I was personally involved in these things. So I, have, I can give you a firsthand account regarding what they are and regarding if they're true or not. So if you purify yourself by living a higher consciousness life, which, which theoretically allows you to live on a higher vibration, and at a certain point, you, you have the opportunity, according to their belief system, you have the opportunity to become one with the universe, achieve cosmic consciousness or Christ consciousness, and at that time, you can escape this, this great wheel of reincarnation. There's no need for you to die and then come back as, you know, Queen Victoria or a turtle, or if you're punished, an amoeba or whatever. The, the need for you to keep reincarnating based on your performance or the law of karma is done away with because you have learned your lesson. You have passed the great test of the universe, and you are now, according to their belief system, free completely free and now now that you're completely free you don't have to keep reincarnating because now according to their belief system you have become one with the universe and you have achieved Christ consciousness Krishna consciousness um, you become one with the universe and the illusion maya is what they call it the illusion maya or life and the seduction of the illusion or maya or life no longer has any pull on you because you are free from being trapped in maya, which is the illusion that we call reality or life. And so you experience cosmic consciousness and you become one with the universe. And you become, according to their religious spiritual beliefs, you become a god. And it's always interesting that whether it's transhumanism or Buddhism or Hinduism or Eastern mysticism or whatever, the seduction is always the same, that if you perfect yourself, you can become God. And so you'll hear people in the New Age constantly make references to the fact that we and they are gods. There was a guy named Stuart Brand who was basically a genius. He was the publisher of the Whole Earth Catalog which was famous at the time in the counterculture because it, on the cover of the whole Earth Catalog, which was like a hippie, tech, computer, geek-type New Age magazine, he, had, he published the first photograph of planet Earth, you know, the blue globe with all the white clouds. He published a picture of planet Earth uh, photographed from outer space. And this was considered by people in the New Age at the time as a uh, as a symbolic representation of a massive shift of consciousness where we no longer were insignificant like ants in this world, but we were gods, and we were one with the universe. And 
we were supposed to be one people, one planet, one religion, one economic system, et cetera, et cetera. And one of his, and Buckminster Fuller, another genius and the inventor of the geodesic dome, one of the most inexpensive and uh, uh, architecturally powerful structures ever invented, Buckminster Fuller, or Bucky as he was called, had an enormous influence on science and the occult and Eastern mysticism. And uh, anyway, he used to converse with uh, Stuart Brand, who hung out, by the way, with Ken Kesey uh, of the Merry Pranksters, who, who distributed free LSD at rock concerts all across the United States. And Ken Kesey was the guru for the Grateful Dead. And uh, I, he was like, I didn't have very good heroes when I was a boy, but he was one of my heroes, Ken Kesey. And he was friends with uh, uh, Brand. And Brand had a famous quote, which was this, quote, Since we're gods, we might as well get good at it. So he bought into this whole thing that, you know, mankind, in, in, in reality, we are gods. There is no god like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's a multitude of gods, and each one of us are gods. And we won't discover that, we won't realize our godhood until uh, we, we reincarnate and work out the laws of karma. We won't really become gods until we achieve God consciousness or Christ consciousness or Krishna consciousness or Christ consciousness or higher consciousness, whatever you want to call it. And then, at a certain point, you will go through a metamorphosis, a radical spiritual transformation. And the analogy was, you will no longer live your life like a moth, a kind of ugly, gray insect. But as you all know, the moth goes through a metamorphosis, a spiritual transformation, and inevitably the moth's destiny is to become a beautiful butterfly with beautiful colors. So in, 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 in their analogy, you and I are, are living our lives like moths, low-level human beings. But when we achieve God consciousness, or whatever you want to call it, we will go from moth to butterfly, and we will become gods. And this, this is the dilemma of our age. It's very important to understand that, that what I'm talking about here is not some fringe subject. This is the, the dilemma of our age, because you have a converge, convergence of different philosophies and sciences and intellectual beliefs and spiritual beliefs. But the common convergence or, or unity is there's a convergence where science, the occult, magic, futuristic technologies, higher level consciousness, becoming one with the universe, uh, scientific breakthroughs, transhumanism, uh, evolution, spiritual evolution, and spiritual evolution that becomes merged with advanced science and technology produced by the sciences promoted by transhumanism. And so the globalist elite who are Luciferians, they, they flow with this, this global world, which the symbol of the global world, of course, is that 
famous photograph of planet Earth from outer space. And uh, these spiritual disciplines like transcendental meditation and meditation and yoga and uh, out-of-body experiences and, and all kinds of things, they converge at the same destination point, which is they all promise that if you pursue these disciplines, if you allow, they're, they're always like dismissive of a personal God. So they, they call God the universe, for example. So if you'll submit to the, dif- the disciplines of the universe, at the end of the road, you can achieve cosmic consciousness. And everything, all these disciplines and knowledge will integrate and become one, thus allowing all men and women to instantaneously evolve through a series of spiritual processes, through a series of science fiction-like technologies, through a series of uh, highly advanced futuristic sciences like transhumanism, and the super-evolution. See, they believe in evolution, but a mystical, occultic, Luciferian evolution. The super-evolution that they are promoting in integration with the New World Order, now called the Great Reset, and the kinds of things being promoted by the World Economic Forum, the Bilderberg Group, Davos in, in Switzerland, etc., these globalist organizations, the United Nations, UNESCO. All of these groups and entities are fellow travelers on a counterfeit or, or alternative spirituality or a counterfeit religion that is in direct militant opposition to the God of the Bible, who is depicted and unfolded from Genesis to Revelation, who is also the Creator, capital C. So this is the world that we live in. And in order to be overcomers in this world, in order for us, in order for you to fulfill the destiny of God, you have to become savvy, you have to become sophisticated in your knowledge and your learning. You have to get up to speed. I mean, let's just let's just spell it out for you and your friends. And I'm not putting anybody down who listens to the Paul McGuire Report. I don't consider you, all of you out there listening to me, Paul McGuire on the Paul McGuire Report, I don't consider you as part of the group that I'm going to describe right now. Because I know the people that listen to the Paul McGuire Report. I've had the opportunity to meet them, read their emails, read their letters for decades meet them at conferences, and you are a different breed of person. You don't think just inside the box. You think outside of the box. You are true seekers of the truth, and you understand that that truth is the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm giving you this information so that you will have the spiritual tools, the spiritual weapons, and the spiritual technology you need to overcome in this great spiritual battle that we're in. And sadly to say, and I know that you've experienced this too because you've communicated this to me many times, sadly to say, the majority of the so-called evangelical culture, where they are in terms of getting up to speed and really understanding how to be an overcomer in in the world that we live in, or in understanding the totality of what's really happening, The way you can look at it, and again, I don't mean it to be mean-spirited, but it it will drive the point home. A significant percentage, let's be very kind and generous. Let's just say 
about 50%, even though it's far higher than 50%. So let's just say about 50% of those people that call themselves Christians, Bible-believing Christians, evangelical Christians, or whatever, about 50% of them are moving on the highways of life at a speed that is so slow that it's as if everybody around them involved in the New Age or witchcraft or the occult or computer technology or transhumanism or whatever, all of those people are roaring by them on the freeway, at least in California. They're they're all driving somewhere between 68 miles per hour to 70 miles per hour to 80 miles per hour. And they're whizzing by the Christians who who are basically riding tricycles, little tricycles. Now, just think of grown adults riding little tricycles. And they're they're, they're not moving very fast in the tricycles in the slow lane. It actually, when you see all these people with banners that say, Jesus saves, riding a tricycle on the freeway, and the speed that they're traveling is approximately the same speed that you would travel if you physically walked with your two feet in the slow lane. So this particular culture, the Christian culture, the biblical culture, not none of this is the will of God. This is the result of disobeying the Word of God. But this particular category of people, um, where you see all these adults and young adults, etc., riding tricycles in, in the slow lane, and the speed that they're achieving is approximately the same speed you would reach if you were uh, uh, walking. And you look at that, and the the secular people look at it, and they don't like it. And they shouldn't like it, because there's something abnormal about it. And they think to themselves, that's rather pathetic. Well, what do they think is pathetic? It's pathetic that grown adults or young adults, instead of driving on the freeways in cars with powerful engines at high rates of speed to get to their destination, this particular subculture, that calls themselves, you know, Bible-believing Christians, are, are riding tricycles, and, and, and their, their motion is awkward, but the visual takeaway is rather pathetic. It's pathetic because the question has to be raised. If you claim to be serving the real and only true God, Jesus Christ, and if you claim that the Bible is true, true truth, if you make all these claims to us, Yet when we look at your lives, we don't really see much evidence of what you're claiming. In fact, with our eyes, we seem to be seeing the opposite of what you're claiming. And the first thing that would come to their minds would be this. Why in the heck are you riding tricycles in the slow lane on the freeway when we're all trying to get to and from work? Why are you rejecting technology that works? For technology that's, you know, a couple of hundred years old. We don't get it. And yet at the same time, you're claiming to know the truth. Well, we don't claim to know the truth. And we don't claim to be saved. But guess what? We're not riding tricycles in the slow line. Okay, enough said. I think I made my point. As a matter of fact, I know I made my point. I don't think most of you hearing what I just said will ever escape the visual imagery that I used in conveying an important message. 
the important message is that if indeed God's people know the truth, which is Jesus Christ is Lord, and that the Bible is true, if indeed that is true, and it certainly is true, it is absolutely 100% true. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the only true God of the universe. We're not going to evolve into being gods, like transhumanism says. And yet, uh, the reality is, we are people who know the truth. But what would, what would be required is honest disclosure. And, the, and an honest disclosure would be this, and it would be conducted by the people who do know the truth, who are Bible-believing Christians, who do believe and know that Jesus Christ is the only true God. They would have to find positions and platforms throughout society, like social media, like the platforms we're on, the, the platforms the Paul McGuire Report is on. And from those platforms of technology, we owe it, if we, if we claim to be wanting to lose, uh, win souls for Jesus Christ, we owe it to God and we owe it to our fellow man and woman to explain to them how such a glaring contradiction can exist right in front of their faces. In other words, we owe it to them to explain to them satisfactorily why there are so many people who claim to know the truth, who claim to be born again, who call themselves Bible-believing Christians, but in the behavior part of their life, their, their, their transportation is tricycles, and what they're doing is pedaling tricycles. And, and what, what is required is an honest explanation, not a, not a blow smoke in our face. Well, it's all part of God's plan. No, it's not. It's not all part of God's plan. That's a stupid answer. And that would keep people, that would keep any thinking person from ever coming close to Jesus Christ. The reason this, this massive aberration or massive disconnect is occurring between the reality and behavior of those that claim to be born again, those that claim that Jesus Christ is Lord, those that claim that the Bible is true, and yet in complete contradiction to those statements, they are embarrassingly riding tricycles in the slow lane on a freeway. What we have to do is give them an apologetic that's honest. An, an apologetic is a defense, a theological, philosophical, intellectual, and scientific defense for the truthfulness of the Bible and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to come clean and say to them, without question, Jesus Christ is God. Christ resurrected from the dead. There is only one true God, and it is God, Jesus Christ. Without question, we, we defend that intellectually and, and theologically and scientifically. But then we don't sweep the dirt under the carpet regarding all the people riding tricycles claiming that the Word of God is true on the freeway. We say, there is no question, we totally understand your, your reaction of disgust and, and perceiving this as pathetic behavior. But do not confuse the pathetic behavior and the aberrant behavior of people who insist upon riding tricycles um, in the slow lane of the freeways and their pronouncements that God is the God of the Bible and Jesus Christ is God. Do not confuse the, the, the two things. Don't make the theological, intellectual mistake of rejecting the reality and truthfulness of the gospel of Jesus Christ based on misleading and in inadequate evidence 
when you see adults who claim to be Bible-believing Christians insisting on riding on tricycles in the slow lane of the freeway. That is not sufficient or adequate or applicable evidence that that will allow you to dismiss the truthfulness, the scientific reality, the historical reality, and the logical and rational reality of the existence of the only true God, which is the biblical God, Jesus Christ. Don't confuse, even though it's tempting to confuse this, the, the two things, don't confuse those two things. What you're perceiving is two entirely different categories of reality. The dysfunction that you see emanating out of the so-called Christian culture is not a dysfunction that is bred out of a truthful, accurate interpretation of the Word of God, nor is it bred out of a realistic and truthful biblical relationship between men and women and the living God, the Creator God. These are two different things, two different dynamics. If you read the Bible for yourself, or you study Christianity, biblical Christianity throughout history, you will see historical evidence, scientific evidence, technological evidence, societal evidence, medical evidence. You will see evidences of all kinds throughout history that prove without a shadow of of doubt that Christianity is truth and not a religion. And that some of the world's greatest minds since the beginning of time have been believers in Jesus Christ precisely because the evidence, the scientific evidence, the archaeological evidence, the genetic evidence, the theological evidence, evidences of all kind, when you collect them together, overwhelmingly prove that Jesus Christ is Lord. And perhaps the Bible's most definitive and uh, primary argument for the truthfulness of the Lordship of Christ is the historical and scientific fact that when Jesus Christ was crucified and killed on a cross by the Roman soldiers, he died in front of many witnesses. Christ died. And then he was buried in a tomb. And the the exit and entrance of the tomb uh, was sealed by a gigantic rock that was placed at the doorway of the tomb where the body of Christ was placed. And then the tomb, along with the rock that secured it, was guarded by the equivalent of, let's say, a hundred highly trained Navy SEALs with the, the latest in technological weapons and training. And they were guarding the tomb with a specific assignment that would prevent anybody from stealing the body of Christ and claiming a resurrection based on a falsehood. So the Roman soldiers were the the, the, the best that Rome had. They were the heavy-duty Roman soldiers that were highly trained, highly disciplined, highly intelligent. So in modern terms, in comparison, they would have been equivalent to many of our highest-level Navy SEALs or other elite troops guarding the tomb of Jesus Christ. So, So nobody, none of the enemies of Christ, could claim that the body was stolen and the whole resurrection was counterfeited.
the proof of the truthfulness of resurrection is the fact that if you took all the evidence, if you took all the historical evidence collected at the tomb of Jesus Christ, and if you interviewed and, and put on the stand all the physical witnesses to the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, you could put this through a trial and judge and jury in, in an honest court in America, and every time the judge and the jury would declare on the basis of the rock-solid evidence, the judge and the jury would declare that, yes, indeed, it is an historical fact that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, and that nobody else has done that in human history, and the very fact that Jesus Christ actually resurrected from the dead is proof, both legal and physical, that Jesus Christ is and was the Son of God. And then what that does, when you, when you examine or, or bring to trial the case for Christ, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you demolish, you pulverize every single counter-argument or counter-religion or every single type of philosophical, intellectual, theological um, attack on the gospel of Jesus Christ. You demolish it. Because the reality of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is so airtight to prove that it would withstand the legal scrutiny and the scientific scrutiny of the finest courts and organizations in America and around the world. And so, the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, despite the fact that mankind considers that impossible, forever crushes all opposition. It destroys the, the so-called law of karma. It destroys the Eastern mystical, Luciferian, Buddhist, Hinduist ideas. It destroys secular humanism. It destroys transhumanism. It is the most powerful intellectual, scientific argument ever mounted in support of the existence of the biblical God and his Son, the Savior, Jesus Christ. It is the most powerful argument to defend and to support with facts and legal realities that are so airtight in their proof that those set of facts, the testimonies from the witnesses, the physical evidence that was gathered, the witnesses that saw Christ later on walking around Jerusalem, etc., the truthfulness and the meticulous record of that real-life account of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ literally is the turning point in the history of mankind. It is impossible to defeat uh, true biblical Christians' claim that Christ is Lord. I'm not talking about make-believe Christians who ride tricycles in the slow lane on the freeway. I'm talking about those Christians that are intellectually robust, theologically and spiritually alive, and have mastered being a true disciple of Jesus Christ, which requires that you develop a biblical worldview, and yet at the same time as you develop a biblical worldview, you practice a supernatural relationship with Jesus Christ that is produced by your interaction with the Word of God and your interaction with the Spirit of God, 
the Holy Spirit, or the dunamis, the dynamite power of God. Christianity, when practiced and taught properly, not when it's abused and distorted, like it has been abused and distorted by a certain percentage of the so-called Bible-believing church, Christianity, when it is taught accurately, and when the Bible is taught when it is interpreted at, at its plain meaning, that form of true Christianity, or what Dr. Francis Schaeffer called true truth and final reality, cannot be refuted. It is a mountain of truth that cannot be moved and has not been moved by any civilization in the history of the world. And by the way, Christianity conquered the mightiest empire alive at the time, which was the Roman Empire. Christianity conquered the Roman Empire by conquering the hearts and minds of the men and women of Rome. And so in our time, the American Empire, which has only been in existence for you know a little over 200 years, is really, it's a baby empire. And America has done everything in its power. I'm talking about the globalist, radical, humanist, and transhumanist elite that are controlling America. They have done everything in their power in terms of technology and science and psychology and education slash indoctrination. They have done everything in their power to destroy and demolish true biblical Christianity and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And although they have destroyed momentarily a genuine, valid faith in Jesus Christ in the lives of many millions of people on a temporary basis, they are a far, far, uh, they are far, far away from destroying the reality of Christianity and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ on, on a long-term or permanent basis. In other words, they have waged war against the truthfulness of the Bible and Jesus Christ. There have been significant casualties, but it's not over yet. It's not over yet. They will continue to increase the velocity and animosity of their attacks against Christians, against Christianity, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. But as history moves forward, as time progresses, there will be, with 100% mathematical certainty, there will be a revival of true biblical Christianity, and there will be an outpouring of the Spirit of Almighty God upon America and other nations. And just when these servants of Lucifer begin to celebrate and rejoice in what they perceive is, is the conquest and the death of Christianity, just when they think it's all over and that Lucifer is going to be the god of this world, just when they begin to, to you know, go berserk with joy over the death of Christ and the death of Christians. Mark my words. Christ will resurrect again. But this time, Christ will resurrect again in the hearts of hundreds of millions of people within the United States of America and around the globe. It will spread to every continent. Just when the globalist elite think they have dominated planet Earth, and just when they think that atheism and transhumanism and all their sick ideologies have prevailed, they are going to be swept up in a spiritual counterattack that it can only be described by the words of Jesus Christ when he told his disciples in Jerusalem, 
to be clothed with power from on high, to receive power from on high, the dunamis, dynamite, explosive power of God. That power of God, that dunamis of God, that power from on high, married to the integrity and truthfulness of the Word of God, which is without error forever and ever. Amen. We'll resurrect in the hearts and minds of countless numbers of people. In fact, that, that revival, that revival that the pilgrims and Puritans experienced, which produced the, the first Great Awakening and the second Great Awakening, that revival has already been seeded in the hearts of millions of Christians in America and around the world. And as God pours out the power of his spirit, the dunamis dynamite power from on high, as God pours out his Holy Spirit upon his people in the last days, as he both predicted and promised throughout the word of God, especially in chapters like Joel chapter 2 and Acts chapter 2 and other chapters, where, where there is a promise by God to pour out the Holy Spirit in the last days. Just when the devil worshipers think that they've, got, that they've closed their deal, there will rise up a revival that will hit America with a force that the globalist elite have never yet encountered. It will be a force greater than previous revivals. There will be an energy released in the spiritual multidimensional atmosphere of planet Earth and over specific nations like America and the European U Union and China and Russia, etc. In other words, just when they think that they have closed their deal and they're ready to dance and have their orgies on the graves of Christ and Christians, there is going to come from heaven a divine turnaround with unprecedented force, power from on high. It will come down upon America with such force and such power that it will bring about spiritual deliverance. It will break yokes of every kind, psychological, financial, disease yokes. Yokes of every kind will be broken, and nothing, absolutely nothing, can stop the power of an authentic biblical revival produced by the Lord Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. This revival, which we're on the precipice of, this revival, which we're on the precipice of, is about to shift gears, and it's about to go into high gear. And when it goes into high gear, the glory of God, the presence of God, the force of God will sweep America, and it will cause a total transformation of the inner man and the inner woman of millions of people. It will literally sweep our governmental institutions clean, as our governmental institutions, which have set their hearts against the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, they will be find themselves facing a spiritual adversary because they have already become allies of the spirit of Antichrist. And as allies of the spirit of Antichrist, they have pledged to wage war against Christ and the followers of Christ. That will only last temporarily a very, very short time. And then in a twinkling of an eye, there will be the opening of the windows of heaven and a power and a glory coming down on this earth that the earth has never seen. And this will be the prelude to the War of Armageddon, where Satan, Lucifer, and all the fallen angels and all the human beings who have followed Satan and received the mark of the beast will find themselves in total desperation as Jesus Christ begins to descend from the heavens as King of kings and Lord of lords when they see Jesus Christ coming and, and all the armies of heaven 
coming in all its glory. They will see Christ in all his glory coming in the second coming, riding a white horse along with the armies of heaven, also riding white horses. And they are going to descend on the valley of Megiddo in Israel. And they will overwhelm and conquer and defeat Lucifer, the Antichrist, the false prophet, all those who receive the mark of the beast, all those who have chosen to oppose Christ will be defeated and sent into the lake of fire. And there will be two, two basic groups in spiritual and other forms of warfare. There will be those that are on the side of Satan and Lucifer and the false prophet and the Antichrist versus those who are on the side of the biblical God, Jesus Christ, the angels of God, and all those men and women who put their faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. They will be waging war against Antichrist and Lucifer. And without question, it will be God Almighty, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, all those who are born again and have had their sins forgiven by faith, along with the angels of God. It will be the kingdom of God that is victorious. There is not even a microscopic amount of of fantasy information that would would misinterpret how it's going to play out. There's only one way it's going to play out. The devil and all those who have made an allegiance or sold their souls to him are going to be vacated from the earth and sent to the lake of fire. And all those who have followed Jesus Christ are going to inherit the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem, and they will receive eternal life forever and ever and ever. You're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. I need you to stand with me at this critical and prophetic hour, and together as we stand in the power of Jesus Christ, we must obey the Great Commission, preach the gospel to all nations, communicate a biblical worldview. This is what we're doing with Paul McGuire Ministries and Paradise Mountain Church. I need you to stand with me. I need you to give as God tells you to give. I need you to be a prayer warrior, and I need you to sign, join, and like all of our social media. When we unite together and dedicate ourselves to serving the Lord Jesus Christ and opposing the spirit of Antichrist, we shall prevail. And that victory, that victory has begun even now. We shall prevail. Visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. You are now listening to the Paul McGuire Report. This is Paul McGuire. We shall prevail in Christ because we are overcomers in Jesus Christ. And the theological as well as scientific foundation that we stand upon is the truthfulness of the Word of God and the truthfulness of the reality of Jesus Christ as Lord. Those two biblical foundations are what we stand upon. And out of the secure foundations upon which we stand, in a true biblical revival, and in a true biblical third great awakening, what there is is a release, an explosion, a manifestation, if you will, of the truthfulness and the reality of God's word, and the truthfulness and the reality of the lordship of Jesus Christ, along with the historical factual reality that Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins, and that Jesus Christ 
was buried in a tomb surrounded by elite Roman soldiers, and that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, which was all predicted by the ancient Hebrew prophets in the Old Testament. Which brings us to the present moment. When mankind and the human race enters this zone, so to speak, let's just arbitrarily call it the truth zone versus the zone of lies and deception. The only reason the Luciferian elite, the globalist elite, have managed to enslave and conquer so many people on planet Earth right now, and the only reason they've managed to enslave and conquer uh, so many Christians in America and elsewhere, is that as children of the lie, as children of Satan, their entire strategy, what they propose, what they promote to the human race, is always based on lies or spiritual darkness. And in order to get people to believe lies rather than truth, you have to use persuasion. And you have to remember that one of the, just like we understand the character of God, we understand, for example, because of the Bible primarily, that God has particular characteristics or character. So, for example, God is the creator, capital C. Therefore, he's creative. That's a character of God. God is love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever that whosoever should believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Another character of God. God is love. God is righteous, which means that God is without sin. God is holy and pure. God will not deviate from that. God will not uh, bend his character and absorb sin or dishonesty or deception or cruelty or hatred or many other things that are not truly the character of God. God will not allow that to become part of his supreme being. And so the character of God teaches us that God is righteous. And because God is righteous and God is holy, God must also be, in terms of his character, God must also be lawful. And, and so God, throughout history, beginning in uh, the Old Testament, God has established what is called the law of God, that are directives by which mankind is supposed to live by. And God being the lawgiver and God being just are part of the character of God. And when we examine the character of God, we see that there is a relationship or an integration between the various characteristics of God, or what we call the character of God. And it's difficult for us to understand, but God, it's not difficult for God because God is omniscient or all-knowing. And so God has to, in a sense, do a balancing act so he doesn't violate the truthfulness of his character in, in any area. So, for example, God is love. God wants all men to be saved. God is caring. God is love. Yet, at the same time, God is righteous and holy. Now, this can become, at least through human perspective, a delicate matter, and it requires that God balance out the two different or the many different character traits that he has. So, for example, God must act upon love always. 
God is love. Yet at the same time, in his dealings with man, first of all, God has to love man because God is love. But second of all, God can't just throw out the window or throw into the garbage his other character traits, such as God is righteous, God is holy. And the righteousness of God and the holiness of God demands that God use, uses his power to judge, to remove, to eradicate, to get rid of the destructive forces of evil, unrighteousness, um, and other things out of the human race and out of this world. God cannot allow, God cannot simply be love and not act on his being righteous or holy. Because God's uh, character to be righteous and holy demands that God act as a righteous judge who must punish, enforce the law, uh, mete out justice when required to preserve human life, to preserve the human race. So there's a, there's a delicate balance, there's a tension between the different characters of God within his deity. Now, that may sound somewhat complex, and it is, because we're human beings with, with finite human uh, minds. But God is infinite, and God has an infinite mind and an infinite capacity. So he can manage these seemingly uh, opposing forces. Now, God is also, God's, God lives outside of time and space. We know that the, the reality that we live in is composed of somewhere between 11 to 14 or more different dimensions. And God lives, and the kingdom of God exists in the dimension beyond the dimensions of time and space. And because God lives in the dimensions beyond time and space, he is eternal. He lives forever. Time does not affect him. God doesn't get old. God doesn't get weary. God doesn't get bored as time passes. Because the throne room of God, the kingdom of God, exists in a dimension that is outside of and beyond the dimensions of time and space. So, so God is a superior being to mankind. And God also, in terms of ranking and the level of God's authority, God is, and this is true, it's not, it's not you know, made up, it's not a delusion or illusion, God is the supreme being. So you could say God is like the top dog in the universe. He is the number one being in the universe. He has more authority and power and knowledge and wisdom than any other being or entity that has ever existed or exists now. God is the supreme being. And the great spiritual war that we're involved in is a battle between the supreme being, God, and a fallen angel being whose name is Lucifer or Satan, who, who in truthfulness, Satan is not God, Satan is not the supreme being, but Satan, because he is imperfect and flawed in his character, unlike God, who is totally pure and perfect in his character, Lucifer or Satan is warped in his character. And that inner warping causes Lucifer and Satan to do things that are the result of his deeply ingrained character flaws 
and the warping that occurred in Satan's life or Lucifer's life. When we look at Satan's biography, Satan was the highest ranking of all angels. In addition to that, Satan or Lucifer functioned basically as the right hand man of God. He was like, for lack of better words, Satan or Lucifer was like the, the second in command under God. And so, because Satan possesses such a very high ranking, which is not as high as the ranking of God, God's ranking is number one. God is the supreme being. But Satan has a very high ranking, at least in comparison to the other fallen angels and other beings in the universe. As such, Satan possesses a tremendous amount of powers that, that in terms of genius-level thinking, analytical abilities, and intelligence. But one thing that Satan, that we need to draw our attention to, is when we look about what the Bible says about Satan, starting in the beginning, we learn that one of the primary weapons and strategies that Satan employs or uses on an ongoing basis is that Satan is known for what is called, quote, the wiles of the devil. Well, what are the wiles, the strategies, or the schemes of the devil? This tells us that a lot of Satan's power, a lot of how Satan conquers and dominates the human race and controls planet Earth, how Satan operates, the so-called tricks he uses, are, are built and based upon what are called the wiles of the devil. That means Satan has elevated to an art form sneakiness psychological, spiritual manipulation. Satan is a con man's uh, con man. Satan uses trickery, deceit, illusion, delusion, hypnosis. Satan is a master manipulator, and he manipulates mankind through man's senses, through man's intellect, through man's uh, uh, pride, through man's lust, in any number of ways. So the wiles of the devil can be translated as the schemes the strategies, the dirty tricks of the devil. That, that is the devil's playing field. And so we have to understand that when we engage in spiritual warfare. It is very foolish to expect that Satan or Lucifer will wage war against us and against God and attempt in any way, shape, or form to be fair, to play by the rules, to be honest, etc., etc., so it's incredibly naive if you're waging war against Lucifer or, or Satan, and you're expecting Lucifer or Satan to operate with integrity, truthfulness, or to even remotely play by the rules, because Satan will never play by the rules. Satan is known as the rebel. He is known as the usurper. He is known as a worker of deceit. Uh, a liar. Satan means the father of lies. So the satanic kingdom, the Luciferian kingdom, the, the, the planetary enslavement, the, the planetary spiritual war being waged by the globalist elite and the Luciferian elite is always rooted and grounded in the wiles of the devil, the, trick, tr uh, the trickery of the devil, the deceitfulness of the devil, the deception of the devil. So it goes without saying that, that if Satan's mind is always operating on the basis of this warping and twistedness and satanic distortion. And Satan, in his heart, has lusted 
to be God since the beginning. It, Satan has been jealous of God and God's power since the beginning. It has always been the lust of Satan and the goal of Satan to have a coup or, or a revolution in which Satan will manipulate the fallen angels and Satan will manipulate God's angels and God's people into following him, Satan, and initiating a revolution against the throne room and the kingdom of God. Because Satan wants to be God, and in order for Satan to be God, he he has to overthrow the throne room or the seat of power or the government of God. And that's what this whole spiritual battle is about. Satan is waging war against God. He is attempting to overthrow God, and his goal is to install himself, Lucifer or Satan, um, illegally as God. Satan's desire is to be God. Satan's desire is to initiate a revolution which overthrows God and God's kingdom, and Satan wants to march in with his revolution and be the new God. And he wants mankind and the angels to worship him as God, even though he's not. He's a deceiver. So Satan's entire agenda is focused on this goal. Satan or Lucifer lusts and desires to be God and to replace God and to sit on God's throne as God. And Satan desires to have all of mankind and the angels and every created being worship him as if he was God. And so that's what everything you see is all about. And that is why whenever you read an account of Satan, whenever you study the strategies of Satan, you see a common theme emerge, and that is Satan using his wiles and his trickery and his powers to deceive men and women, to deceive angels, to deceive people into worshiping him as God, and his seduction that that is targeting all men and women and the fallen angels, he presents a seductive lie, and he tells them this lie, and it always follows this particular format. He told this to Eve, who told it to Adam, and he has promised this lie to mankind ever since he started his spiritual revolution. The lie goes as follows. He promises them that if they will disobey God, the biblical God, if they will turn away from the biblical God, if they will reject the biblical God, if they will reject the biblical God's word, if they will reject whatever God has told mankind to do, and then in total disobedience, pledge themselves to follow the orders and the commandments of Lucifer and Satan instead, and, and serve Satan and Lucifer instead of God, then Lucifer or Satan promises people like the human race, even then Adam and others throughout history, he promises them that if they reject God's word, if they disobey God's word, then they will become like gods. He promises them the supernatural power to become like gods if they refuse to obey God and follow his commandments. So in the particular case of the fall of man, which occurred in the Garden of Eden, on planet Earth, when planet Earth was paradise, Satan approached Eve and tempted Eve and spiritually seduced Eve and told Eve that God was holding out on them, 
and that they, that she and Adam, could be beco- could become like God and have everything that God has if they would simply reject and disobey the Word of God and the commandments of God, and then worship Satan or Lucifer as God, and in turn follow the commandments of Lucifer and God. And then Satan made reference to what God had commanded Adam and Eve. And, and uh, God commanded Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis to, that they could eat from every fruit of the tree of the Garden of Eden. They, they had permission for, from God to eat of every fruit of the tree of the Garden of Eden. But when it came to the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God told Adam and Eve that they were forbidden to eat of the tree, of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. And then God said, in the day that you do, um, you will be cursed and you will begin to die. And so the liar, Lucifer or Satan, told Eve that God was lying to them. And then he told them to do the opposite of what God had told them to do. Satan told Eve that if she and then her husband, Adam, ate of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, that they would become like gods, that they would be God. So Satan told Adam and Eve the opposite. He lied to them and told Eve that if you disobey God's word and if you eat from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, you shall not die, but you will become like God, or you will be God, knowing good from evil. And so, the seduction and the lie, Eve believed the lie, and then she convinced not only herself to eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, but she convinced Adam, her husband, to eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. And in the day that they ate from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, um, they were instantaneously zapped or transformed in the nanosecond that they ate from the forbidden fruit of the tree in the middle of the Garden of Eden. They they were hit with the, the, let's, let's call it the electromagnetic power or force known as the death force. The moment they ate of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, the death force entered their bodies, or they activated the law of sin and death. Instantaneously, they began to die at every level of their being, biologically, spiritually, and their soul nature. They began to die and degrade. The death force entered their body. And this radical death-like transformation was known as the fall of man. Man fell from his exalted state as an immortal being. Adam and Eve were given the power and wisdom to be the kings and queen of planet Earth, but they lost it in a nanosecond when they disobeyed God and the death force entered their beings, and instantaneously they began to die, degrade as the fall of man began to manifest in Adam and Eve and as the fall of man began to manifest in every aspect of creation on planet Earth. All of planet Earth, including Adam and Eve, including the animals and the fish and the birds, including the trees and the water and everything, had become contaminated, degraded, and uh, maligned by the death force. 
And all of a sudden, in a nanosecond, Adam and Eve went from being immortal beings with supernatural rulership. They became mortal beings that were now in the process of dying, getting sick. They lost all their wisdom and power, and they became just a fraction of what God had created them to be. So the bottom line was they lost the power and authority to be kings and queens of planet Earth. They lost their supernatural immortality. They lost their rulership, and they became fallen creatures. All of creation fell. Everything on planet Earth fell. And man, genetically and through DNA, passed the results of the fall of man on from generation to generation to generation up until our present time. Every one of us, as human beings, we have the DNA of Adam and Eve, which was formerly the pure DNA of God. But as creatures that have fallen DNA, the DNA of Adam and Eve, we are now a fallen race. And every one of us has gone from immortality to mortal. We all have the death force operating in us. We all have a fallen human nature. And this, our weakened spiritual and physical condition, which came about through our disobedience of the Word of God, has allowed Satan to exploit us, enslave us, and lead us into captivity. The only reason that we are currently threatened with the Luciferian plans of global domination and, and enslavement of the human race, the only reason that's a viable threat is because mankind has fallen from its exalted state as the kings and queens of planet Earth, and as fallen creatures, we are far weaker than God originally created us. Now, fortunately, God loves us, and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, as the Messiah to pay the legal penalty for all of our sins, including paying the legal penalty for the sins which activated the law of sin and death and caused the fall of man and the death force to enter the human race. Jesus Christ came to undo the entire curse, the entire death force, and the entire fall of man by taking all of those sins upon himself on the cross. And then when Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, dying for our sins, dying for the death force, and resurrecting from the dead, every one of us were given the opportunity by faith to receive God's free gift of salvation, to receive the free gift of eternal life, to become brand new creatures in Jesus Christ. And we now have regained the supernatural authority, the supernatural power to rule and reign the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem, with the new power and the new creatures we are in Christ Jesus. This is a spiritual revolution which will, when it finally plays out, you and I will be seated in heaven on heavenly thrones with Jesus Christ, and we will rule and reign with Jesus Christ for all eternity. And this will usher in the fact that we will be reborn with brand new, perfect, glorified bodies. And we will live in a perfect world as immortal beings. We will celebrate our new life in Jesus Christ. We will celebrate it forever and ever and ever. And we will live in the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, and the new earth. And so it's in this totality of victory that Jesus Christ has given us the mantle of authority, the mantle of anointing of the Holy Spirit. And we have been given the privilege of regaining our authority as new creatures in Christ Jesus, 
and we will rule and reign once again for all eternity. But it begins now by being victorious in the present-day spiritual battle, which God has given us the power, the dunamis dynamite power, to win. We have been given the supernatural power of God to win the battle against Lucifer. But I need your help in spreading this message far and wide. I need your prayers, and I need you to stand with us on our social media. God bless you. This is Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. Mm-hmm.